0: I realize your guy shows for the lore which seems like it actually for the lore and it almost <laughs> works You're listening to For The Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favourite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Joining Roger is Joe, writer from WoW Insider and World of Maticus and Vince from Massive Nerd. Hello and welcome to For the Lord, this is Roger coming to you on Tuesday, the 30th of August, and we've got a hell of a show lined up for you tonight, covering a lot of what went on at PAX. Uh, it is just going to be uh, Vincent myself, because Joe is the homeless gamer bastard. He is actually moving, so he cannot be with us with Edit <laughs> that, shorten it, take the junk out. He won't be with <laughs> And you're on point tonight. <laughs> oh my God, dude, what the hell? Anyways Yeah, he's not going to be with us tonight, so we are just going to two man the show, but we do have a ton of stuff. Um, Although, I got to say, I was, I don't know about you, Vince, but I found that the um, packs this year did not seem to have quite as much as normally as years before. Did you find the same thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, it had a, a good quality, but there, yeah, there wasn't much there, especially because PAX East was a pretty big show this year. I mean, I guess everybody was just kind of worn out from Gamescom, which was like three days before PAX.
0: Yeah, that's see, that's what I was thinking too. Like we. The... With Bethesda as well and ID with, uh, with uh, QuakeCon, and then we had GamesCon, and now this, and I'm thinking, yeah, it's quite possible that, you know what, they, they've already shot their load, for lack of a better term, and now there's not much new that they can talk about, so it just seemed that there, there wasn't quite as much going on that's okay because what we got was pretty damn good it was very cool Uh, just sticking with the actual penny arcade guys we did find out that there is going to be the third episode of on a rain slick precipice of darkness i don't know did you play the first two at all
1: when it comes to episodic games like this and uh back to the future and whatnot i'd prefer to just wait until it's all out and play it all at once so i when i heard there was no chapter three i
0: was like oh okay
1: so I never got a chance to try it out
0: okay yeah I actually played through much of the first one I I never did finish it it's one of those games that I want to finish and I own two I just got to again get around to finishing the first one I really enjoyed it I loved the way that it was set up I liked the story so I was having a lot of fun so I, I really am looking forward to going back to them and finishing it now that being said I don't know how I feel about this though, with the third one being done instead by um it, by the people who did Cthulhu's Cthulhu Saves the World and whatnot, it's going to be more of a 16-bit RPG kind of game. And I'm thinking, I don't know whether or not I'm excited for that or not. Especially because Penny Arcade has that signature art
1: style that you know Gabe has created over the years, and that was present in the first two games. So. As as cool as it as, as it probably could be, I mean, Cthulhu saves the world was friggin' hilarious. Uh, I don't know if it's going to come across quite the same just because of that change in the art.
0: Yeah, well, it's definitely going to be jarring if you're playing them through. But I'm I'm wondering whether or not the fans care what it looks like enough that they're going to let this stand in their way. You know what I mean? If you if if what you really care about is the story and this can present you with that so that you finally get it, then who cares?
1: Yeah, it's, it's better than nothing, because I would definitely play a 16-bit version of Shenmue 3
0: if it means I get to play it at all. Yeah, the <laughs> or the next Half-Life, the <laughs> last Half-Life. Uh, but, but yeah, no, it's going to be interesting. The thing is, is that, I mean, there were a lot of rumors in terms of why it wasn't done by Hothead Games. They were saying initially, like, you know, one is blaming... Penny Arcade is blaming them saying well they took on they decided to do death Spank instead so there's only going to be you know so much attention that they can put to games and if they're spending an, an, too much attention on death Spank, then our games are going to suffer and then you got Hothead games saying listen it was like pulling teeth trying to get the scripts out of Tycho for the first two so we really can't do that anymore so it's hard to say like I, as in many things like the truth is probably somewhere in the middle yeah, a
1: little from column A, a little from column
0: B. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see whether or not they can meet the time frame for this and whether or not it's going to have the same caliber of work to it, not just in terms of the graphics, but also very much in terms of the actual story as well, because that that's what really was most impressive about the first one. I Like I said, I haven't played the second one, so I'm not quite certain whether that... The same can be said of that now. Also, staying again with the Penny Arcade Boys before we go over to the other stuff, there was a lot of stuff going on with uh scrolls right now, and of course, I'm not talking about. Elder Scrolls, I'm talking about Scrolls, the game. Now, this is going to be coming out from by Marcus Notch Pearson, who worked on Minecraft, and it's actually being written by Jerry Hulkins, who's Tycho from Penny Arcade. And what's happened, though, is that apparently Bethesda decided they own the rights to the term Scrolls. If you want to put scrolls (laughs) in your title, they want to trademark that shit, and they're going to ask you to actually change it, which is what they did here. And it's funny because, like, I, from the little that I've read, it sounds very interesting. It sounds like they're trying to blend, they said, a strategy game with a collectible card game, except in this case, the cards are scrolls. And I think that if properly written, which, I mean, Tycho is nothing if not you know, someone who likes that kind of stuff, it could be fairly interesting. I would like to see it. I just think it's hilarious that Bethesda thinks they own the, the rights to scrolls did you hear how notch wanted to settle the uh, (laughs) lawsuit (laughs) he decided to
1: challenge bethesda to a quake three match to to settle the lawsuit yeah at which point he realized that bethesda owns id and that would probably be a bad idea
0: (laughs) yeah i thought that was funny so it's going to be interesting to see what they do with this i again i we got a little teaser trailer which i just played for the audience there um there's not much to it of course but it does show perhaps what the art style is going to be be in the game which is not very intricate but in a game like this you wouldn't expect it to be but again in we're seeing a lot of smaller independent games that are coming out that are doing amazingly well you don't have to have you know triple a title type graphics to to pull off a good successful game and if this can pull it off i'd love to to give it a shot now Go ahead.
1: So I was just going to say, look how much money Minecraft has made, and the damn thing isn't even out yet, technically. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, did you see the uh, the release date for Scrolls? No. Oh, spring, isn't it? At, at the end of the trailer, it says, coming eventually. Come-
0: <laughs> well, see, this is the thing, too. If Taiko's going to be working on that, as well as episode three of <laughs> Rains Like Precipice, I'm thinking, hmm, how much time do you have, buddy? Uh, unless most of... The third episode is already in the in the the can, so to speak, and they don't well, have to worry about it.
1: Didn't they actually put yeah. the rest of the game manuscript up on the website? They
0: did. So I, but I don't know how much of that would have to change to be put in actual game format for different, you know, um, different things in terms of the uh, conversations and whatnot. So I don't know how much they'd have to do, or if it's pretty much, you know, good to go, which is highly possible as well. Mm -hmm. but we've talked about that enough let's move on to some actual PAX news now too although before we get into that some news regarding Deus Ex Human Revolution I'll take you I'll let you dig this one
1: (laughs) all right so Deus Ex Human Revolution came out last week and it's utterly fantastic I don't want to steal Joe's thunder on this one uh, especially since you haven't played it so I just want to don't want to go off on a huge monologue about the game but it's fucking amazing let's just put it leave it at that but there was um a bit of fun little news that came out a couple of days after the game came out. Uh, it had been uh, revealed that if you bought a PC copy of Human Revolution, in the box you received a code for a free on live downloaded version of the game. So it's one of those great cross promotional things that you know gives people a chance to test out this new service that a lot of people haven't tried out, myself included. Well, GameStop didn't like this. Uh, GameStop has decided that they want to try and get into digital distribution themselves, and they saw this as Square Enix supporting the competition. So, what does GameStop do? They pull the game from their... Oh, no, they don't pull the game from their shelves, which was what a reputable company would do. GameStop decides to send out a memo to all of their stores to open every single (laughs) copy of Deus (laughs) Ex and remove the code. Which... In and of itself, it's not like a huge, oh my God, that's that's so terrible, but it, it is pretty shady. You, you have to admit that. <laughs> and people, of course, I'd say it got blown a little out of proportion with you know all the rhetoric and everything online, but it, it, it all comes down to people just really don't like GameStop. So even the smallest little thing they screw up just becomes this huge deal.
0: Well, you got to wonder though, how much, if you look at it in terms of the legality If you purchase Mm -hmm. something and then they remove something from it, but you paid for it, are they actually allowed to do that before the item has left the store?
1: I think in this case, it was kind of in a gray area because the on live uh, coupon was not an advertised Part of the package, like it wasn't listed anywhere on the box that it was included. And while I'm sure Square Enix could have made a big stink about it, they actually kind of just wussed out. They said, Yeah, sorry, you know, we didn't tell them about it. We should have mentioned it before we went to press with it. So we feel that they should have the right to, you know, treat the product we give them and, you know, however they want, basically. I was like, That's a very non Square way of thinking like just from my point of view it's like Square just kind of backed off and then GameStop went okay we'll just pull it from our shelves instead of you know doing all that shenanigans
0: I again I don't I don't know I didn't buy from them so I don't care frankly I I haven't picked up the game yet and if I do it'll probably be on Steam but I just think that that in my opinion it goes beyond shady. If I had purchased something else, another product, and let's just think of it in terms of something that's not actually a game, you know, but something. And that product came with something else, whether it was advertised or not, it was sent with something else. And then the distributor decides that I'm not getting that and they keep it, I would think there's a certain amount of legality there that you can kind of it that they shouldn't be allowed that, that shouldn't be legal, that they are changing, that they're taking something away that you paid for. Whether it was advertised or not, you paid for that, you should have it. Yeah, it just comes down to the thing where any other company when
1: a situation like this arises and it happens all the time, you know, major retailers like Walmart disagreeing with a certain company's decision for even something as simple as packaging, they pull the item from their shelves. They don't alter it and you know, they re- they reached some sort of agreement behind the scenes that doesn't affect the consumer, you know, the, the consumer aside from not being able to buy it there you know they have to go across the street to buy it whatever the consumer isn't losing anything in the exchange and I think that's what the biggest issue is here for me at least
0: Yeah. Okay, moving away from there, before we actually tackle packs again, there was one other piece of news that I wanted to talk about, just because I think it's awesome. I don't know if anybody is still playing Castle Crashers. Actually, my son is still playing Castle Crashers, and I still bounce in periodically. Castle Crashers is still a freaking awesome game. I still love it. Um, The thing is, is that they released a DLC for Castle Crashers, um, and that was just a few days ago, and it's the Pink Knight, which... (laughs) is hilarious in and of itself. It's it, it actually shoots like rainbows and stuff like that. <laughs> but it's a free character that you can download which my son had been asking about it not that long ago because he's collecting all of the characters so he keeps asking to see the, the wiki page that shows all the different characters you can unlock and stuff and so he knew that eventually it would show up but anyways what uh, the the Behemoth is doing which is a company that put out Castle Crashers is that for up to 50,000 the first 50,000 people who download this free DLC they're going to give a dollar to the Keep, Rest, Keep A Breast Foundation so Yes, it's a tax deduction, but it's still a hell of a classy act because, I mean, this is not something that they had to do. So it's not costing you anything so definitely just if you are this is of course for Xbox so if you even if you haven't um, I don't know if they've reached the 50,000 yet so even if you haven't uh, played it for a while go in download it it's free and then on top of that they released a a blacksmith character which you can buy for the equivalent of a couple of bucks then there's some also some new team versus team modes and some avatar awards that you can unlock uh, which my son unlocked the the, the pink knight head, which is hilarious. I might do that for mine as well. <laughs> but just some good news there. It's a good company. I respect when these guys, they do stuff like that. Yeah, I, I actually haven't played Castle Crashers, and
1: I'm ashamed to admit that.
0: You've never played it?
1: I've never played it. Dude, what is wrong I... with you? So, so many things.
0: Oh, man, you have to play it. It's It's not even a... You know, maybe I should kind of thing. Pick it up and play it. It's 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 an iconic game. I honestly at this point I think it, it, it actually is. All right, fine. I won't buy Skyrim. I'll play Castle Crashers instead. Oh come on, Castle Crashers is what all of ten bucks, fifteen bucks. Jesus. All right. Now moving on to some PAX news. Um, one of the things that we found out, which we kind of discussed a little bit before too, is that Torchlight 2 is going to be goddamn cheap. And awesome. I'll let you take this one, too.
1: All right, so to cover the cheap side of things first, uh, last week we talked about how they were aiming for the 20 to $30 price range for the retail release of the game. Well, at PAX, they did finally confirm 20 whole dollars. Awesome. That's freaking awesome, yeah. Especially since it's roughly three to four times the size of the first game, which was also a great value at $20. This, this is pretty incredible. This is... This is amazing for me. Like The, the, the scope of this game, by no rights anywhere should this be a
0: $20 game. And I'm really hoping that what's going to happen here is that they're going to make a crap load of money off of this. And it won't be because they sold less copies at a higher price but rather because they sold a lot more copies at a far lower price because I want other developers to learn mm-hmm. from this so that they start doing the same because there's a lot of games that that I would buy even knowing that there'd be some that I you know what I wouldn't play all that much or I wouldn't finish or you know but that at a $20 range it's worth it it's worth picking up just to play a little bit kind of thing but at a 60 Dollar price range? No, not going to happen.
1: Yeah, like look at um the Cursed Crusade coming out soon. Like it seems like a pretty cool game, but not something I would you know instantly jump to buy. But at a forty dollar price point, as opposed to a sixty dollar price point for you know a high quality console release, that's that's a consideration. I've bought plenty of impulse games that are on sale for you know 35, 45 bucks. So yeah, it's definitely something that I wish more companies would explore, and bigger companies at like that, that can actually make an impact.
0: Yeah, I mean, it will be something we're in. We're going to have to see just how much content is in Torchlight Two to be able to determine whether or not yes, it is actually a hell of a value at twenty, or just you know what? Yeah, this is this is this is a good deal kind of thing. Because at this point here, yes, we've heard a lot of things about it. We've heard a lot of, of, of things in terms of the gameplay and whatnot, and and some of the story though, not all of it. But we haven't really. We haven't heard enough to determine again whether or not this is just an insanely cool deal, which is what it sounds like it is. And
1: it's a great sigh of relief for, I know you and myself, because we're both going to buy several oh, yeah. copies of the game. Yeah. So, yeah, it's nice to know that I'm not going to have to eat ramen noodles that week.
0: Well, I'm I'm looking forward to it because, again, as soon as this came out and I was telling the wife, I was saying, like, Jesus, I'm, I'm buying a copy for Oz. I'm going to be buying a copy for my my youngest so that we can play together. And I'll probably buy a copy for my eldest daughter because now that she has her laptop, I've been picking up games for her. She See, Fairy Solitaire? She actually finished it all. She loved it. <laughs> and, and she's been playing the crap out of Torchlight. She said she's taken to... Actually actually hiding her laptop because if it's within sight she turns it on and plays torchlight now and I said, "Oh dear, have I got something for you in a little bit." <laughs> well, she's definitely your daughter. Yeah, that's for sure. And then they also announced the last class.
1: Yes, the Ember Mage, which, as predicted, is your traditional mage caster class, and you know, no huge surprises there. But I really liked the the lore behind the Ember Mage. How you know they're not just you know these fluffy little things standing in dresses and throwing snowballs at people. They're warrior wizards. They they are bred to be on the front lines of a battle, and how it is is uh, when they are very young, they're chosen by the Ember Council for their uh, for the promise, for for what their potential, and they're trained not just in the use of magic, but also in the art of warfare, hand to hand combat, strategy. So when they hit the battlefield, they are the scariest things out there. Not just because they have big armor and a sword, no, because they are smart, they are powerful, and you don't want to be anywhere near these Ember Mages. And another thing that I thought was pretty cool is we saw the alchemist in the first Torchlight, and what they explain is the alchemists draw their energy directly from the ember itself, which as we know can be a little – dangerous. (laughs) dangerous. Ember's, <laughs> ember can be a bit fickle at times. What the ember mages do is they study the ember. They don't use it. They just look at how it affects the things around it and its properties. And they learn using their own magic to reproduce the results that the ember itself can have. So they achieve the same Outcome as using the ember without all the the drawbacks, which I think is pretty cool. and it, it really separates them from the alchemist class because it's so hard to differentiate two two mage classes in any game. So I think this was a pretty cool way to go about it.
0: it I felt the the same way because it's the same thing as in any game, like you're saying too. It's a, it's the sorcery class essentially is what it is, and. I was really curious how they would make it different than The Alchemist because I actually really loved playing The Alchemist. I really enjoyed it a lot. And so when I looked at this, though, initially when I I, I read... You just have to read Ember Mage and it was like, eh, okay. Well, we knew it was going to be the major sorcery class. yeah. And uh, But, okay, let's just pause, wait for the rings to stop and edit this all out. Okay, there we go. But when I read past that and actually looked at at what they were doing with this like you said too with the lore and and how that will translate into the gameplay then yes it is awesome it is it sounds like it's going to be a hell of a fun class to play now that being said though I still don't think that's the one I'm gonna play I I I really am seriously digging this outlander and and of course the engineer what are you planning on playing
1: I absolutely love the Berserker, especially the picture they have on the website there. Yeah, has oh, <laughs> yeah. got How he's got, you know, the, the the dagger thing in one hand, and he's just wielding a wolf's head <laughs> in the other. He's not even bothering to draw his second weapon. <laughs> it's like that was just really cool. But I mean yeah, as cool as the Ember Mage is, it does rank fourth. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, Berserker for sure, and Engineer looks cool, and I'll probably try the Outlander.
0: Yeah, see, I'm thinking my first. I'm probably uh, I'll probably make two. I'll make the the Outlander and the Engineer, and then afterwards I'll probably go with the Ember Mage before the Berserker even, because the Berserker just seems very much like your typical Warrior class kind of thing. Ah, uh, yeah, with some insane abilities, but still. Whereas again, that that Ember Mage does appear to have some differences than your typical sorcery class your diff- typical mage and that's what i'm looking for is something that's different than the norm and that's why i'm looking towards the other two first but
1: i've just always liked the the hand-to-hand classes the the assassin in diablo 2 was absolutely oh, yeah. awesome yeah and i'm really looking forward to the monk in diablo 3 so berserker
0: is right up my alley yeah okay cool so let's move away from that now all manner of awesome and very much looking forward to it let's actually touch on something bigger now with the the old republic because we got a couple of videos for the old republic one of them being the uh a guide through a portion of eternity vault it wasn't the whole thing it was really just it was the same thing that we saw at gamescom except at Gamescom it was a a crappier team (laughs) so they didn't actually get open get through the front door kind of thing they were still stuck outside but this is a far better team and they actually got past that big honking thing that was blocking the way but they didn't actually show anything from within i mean they showed a little video that showed some clips of what was going on but they certainly didn't show A lot. And so I don't know. I was expecting when I saw this, and it's like Guide to Eternity Vault, and I'm like, oh, finally. And it's like the same shit we've already seen. And I was like, oh, well, that's a little disappointing.
1: Well, it, it was nice to see it properly played, though.
0: <laughs> well, it was just, nice to just, see just the seeing... classes working together as they should.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, having the assassin tank, you know, backup tanking and, you know, the, the the bounty hunters running around doing their thing instead of just people like face rolling across the keyboard like we saw at Gamescom. But the, the, the coolest thing about this video for me was in that little flash at the end where I just threw a whole bunch of scenes of the actual vault up there. Did you see the
0: puzzle boss? No, I, they, I, I only watched it once and I didn't like slow down to look through everything. Like what I saw was awesome. And it was like, holy crap. Okay. Yeah, it's gonna be cool in there. But I didn't, you know, dissect they, it all.
1: They, they, they showed a scene where most of the group is fighting this huge monster, like, you know, a regular boss battle, but a couple of the players are actually off to the side solving a puzzle on the wall. And I, I don't know how that works in the actual gameplay, but that's a cool little twist. Like, it's not, you know, run over here and flip the switch. No, it's figure out this logic puzzle.
0: Yeah, actually, that'd be pretty fun. But then that's something that we're seeing with the... Okay, that's something that we are seeing, not you, in the questing when we're seeing things on uh, in different videos that come up and whatnot. This is something that you're seeing all the time. So, again, you get to to know whether or not There's how much of a measure of truth there is. But from what we've been seeing, the the questing is still different. And if that's true, then that's what, again, has me very excited. Now, that's something that they talk about here, Um, Gabe Amit. Amatangelo, Amatangelo, whatever from Bioware, um, was also talking at PAX, and he was talking about the Old Republic and how it's not your t- your typical MMO, and how they really tried to put a lot of RPG back into MMORPG, and in terms of your questing and how your choices will have not just an impact on your story and whatnot but also the the gameplay he was saying if you've chosen to do certain something a certain way it's going to impact what you see in different areas or, or whatever which then has an impact on again how how the actual the entire game progresses for you and between that and what we've been seeing in terms of the questing how different it is I am really looking forward to it because it, it does look like the questing is going to be something that's going to be leaps and bounds ahead of what we've been seeing lately. It's the selling point of the game because, as you said,
1: the, the, the combat doesn't do anything truly original. You know, the graphics, they're they're good. They're not amazing. So it, it, this game is going to live or die on how the community reacts to their storytelling and their questing system because, let's face it, a lot of people aren't going to like this much RPG in their MMO. And so
0: it's gonna be really interesting to see how the actual community accepts it. Well see that's what I find funny because they've I mean they've pre-sold tons of copies already. So and then that's something that they were talking about at PAX as well, saying that they expect that this is going to be the biggest MMO launch so far. And judging from what we've seen and in terms of the, the sales and whatnot, I'm inclined to believe them. Well, how many pre orders of Ion were
1: there? Anybody can sell the the package. It's a matter of keeping the people around long term.
0: And that's the thing, because not all MMO players care about the the questing and the lore. A lot of them just care about having, you know, getting to the max level and having the best possible gear and everything and then just basically stomping on people. So and, I mean, and- even a lot of the people who do
1: care about that stuff, it's almost a secondary objective for them. I mean, look at Joe. He got his character, you know, 85 and raid ready within, you know, the first week of Cataclysm's launch, and then he went back to experience all the lore that he missed on that road. So it's it's going to be a big shift for just the MMO playing populace.
0: Well, I think it's going to be a big shift. I think it's going to be something that is going to work for them and against them because unlike other games where you can offer a ton of lore but make it so that it is easily for lack of a better term skippable kind of thing whereas with this you're sitting through them talking you're, you're there's you know there's there's going to be a lot of things that that I don't want to use the term force down your throw, but you don't have much choice. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be something that I feel is going to again work for them and against them. I think that the the the, the bonus is that everything's gonna be different if you choose to make an alt. Within reason there's gonna be a lot of different gameplay and whatnot, but there's still going to be a certain amount of similarities in the same quests and things like that that is going to hold people back from actually playing alts. I mean, I'm excited to play an alt for different characters and whatnot, but I still feel like I'm going to still be experiencing a lot of the same content. You know what I mean?
1: I might know what you mean, <laughs> but you're not allowed to say anything about <laughs> it. I, I can
0: definitely see your point. All right then. So we'll leave it at that. Okay. Let's touch then on one of the other big MMOs coming up. And oh, that, oh, hey, we had the, the last little bit there. The last little bit. Oh, the beta weekends. Okay. Go yeah.
1: ahead. All right. So as, uh, Bioware announced at, I think it was Comic-Con? Yes, at Comic-Con. September is going to be their beta weekend event month. And September starts in a couple days. So starting actually this weekend is when their first beta weekend is going to occur. And every weekend thereafter until September is over. So be checking your inboxes quite a bit over the next couple days because I think between today, tomorrow, and maybe Thursday is when they're going to be getting those invites out there. Now, what they have said...
0: Sorry, I'm when laughing he, because people are going to check their email on Friday, see that they, they got in, and then spend all of Friday and Saturday downloading the freaking <laughs> clients. <laughs> Maybe get in for a few hours on Sunday, call in sick for work on Monday, <laughs> and that's it. Uh, yeah, there, there are a lot of
1: things to consider here. What they have said is with the vast amount of people they've had signing up for the for the beta itself – they're looking to probably and you know of course they're non committal about everything having different groups each weekend so if you get in the first weekend that's probably your one weekend for September and, you know unless you get lucky or something and how it's running concurrently to the current beta tests so you know you, you won't be on my server sorry uh, but it's it's going to be pretty interesting because they haven't said anything so far about the NDA and if you're letting this many people oh, hands out. on with your game it's going to be impossible to keep the NDA locked down because like oh if if you violate the NDA you're kicked out of the beta well the beta's over tomorrow so I mean, that that's going to be your average players you know way of thinking about this oh dude if I get uh, in
0: the beta I'm talking about it <laughs> I uh, what are you going to do not let me in in a month when you decide to let me back in again or whatever forget it Forget about it. I'm talking about it.
1: So it's going to be a a very, very interesting couple of weeks. Uh, Just if you're on a uh,
0: metered broadband and you have a cap, pay attention. (laughs) Yeah. You don't want to be downloading a terabyte and a half like some people. No comment. All right, let's move away from that now and talk about Terra. And Actually, see, this is the other thing I was going to say, too. Like, we're looking at some beta events starting, or actually, they're not even beta. They're alpha events for Terra right now, too, um, that are going to be starting up with their weekend things. And I think that in terms of weekend betas, I can see Terra doing better than the Old Republic because, and I know you can't correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I look at it, a game like The Old Republic requires more time to enjoy it, to really let the experience sink in, enjoy all the quests and everything. It's not going to necessarily wow you right away. It may wow you in some regards, but not everything because, it, the, again, the... The true breadth of the game is in the voice acting, in the questing, and things like that. Not in the going out and killing crap. And on a weekend, when you're rushed for time, you basically want the full experience of the gameplay for the most part. And then have fun with that. And I can see how Terra would do far better. Because when we're seeing things with Terra right now, we're not hearing as much about the questing. But the, the damn gameplay looks so freaking awesome. And the game looks incredible.
1: Yeah, I, it's, it's, I, I, I can see your point.
0: <laughs> okay, so what do you have to say about Terra?
1: Okay, so Terra didn't have a presence at PAX itself. However, their headquarters is like across the street, so they just set up their own little community event there. And um, they did the same thing last year, which uh, I believe was the one Tart attended. We yeah. got lots of cool feedback from that. So here we are a year later. Game is much more polished than it was then. They have some very interesting things to show off. They're not just talking about the game itself and you know the combat. They're actually getting into the systems. And one of the cool things they talked about was this big end game PVP plan they have that involves server versus server combat where you know rival guilds on a server and keep in mind in Terra the political system is a big point of their end game. So you're going to have rival factions that really hate each other on a server However, when your server is being invaded by another server, those rival factions are going to have to band together to fight it off. And I just think that's really, really cool. It's something we've seen elsewhere. Uh, I think uh, Guild Wars 2 is doing something similar and whatnot. But just the way that the actual endgame structure of Terra is set up to... Put all this tension between the guilds. I think it's really cool making them come together for these
0: events. What I think is cool is that not only can you fight back the horde of, for lack of a better term, horde of players from the other server that are invading your server you can fight them back as if it's you know the you, you fight them past the line so that they're off your server you can follow them onto their server <laughs> and then fight them on their ground now that is freaking awesome i don't know the logistics of how they intend to accomplish that but when i read that alone it was like oh. Crap, that's going to be insane. That's world PvP on a whole other scale. That's literal world PvP. (laughs) Exactly, and that's something that I miss from the very early days of WoW. The very Mm -hmm. very early days of WoW, I mean, long before Battlegrounds, the the world PvP was insanely fun. I mean, it crashed your computer sometimes, and in some cases the entire (laughs) server, but I mean, it was so much fun. And this has taken that to the nth level. Yeah, I can just imagine, you know, pushing the enemy back and like,
1: oh, they're on retreat, charge after them. And you come through and there's 50 fucking pandas throwing fireballs at your face.
0: (laughs) (laughs) See, that's the kind of thing that would make it so much fun is if strategies like that are put in place so that you got to think ahead. You got to think, okay, well, what's waiting for me on the other side? That's that's all manner of awesome. That that makes me want to play it even more now. Yeah, How back in the
1: days, you know, not just in World of Warcraft, but other games, everybody has those great PvP stories that you really don't hear that much anymore because it's all become so mechanical and it just it, everybody goes through the motions. OK, this objective here, that objective there. You don't really get that cool, fluid, tactical gameplay anymore. And I'm really hoping we see that here. Yep, I agree. All right. Moving on from that. Uh, <laughs> we've got some interesting news here. Um On en Entertainment. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> collecting myself here. On en Mass Entertainment also announced another new system they're putting into the game called the Chrono Scrolls. What uh, is a Bethesda's Chrono Scroll? coming after them. No scrolls for you! <laughs> <coughs> okay. <laughs> what is a Chrono Scroll? Well, a Chrono Scroll is an item that you can buy from the On en Mass Entertainment website. Microtransactions. Ooh, it's the devil. And when you use the Chrono Scroll item in game, you get a month of playtime. Well, that seems pretty stupid. Why would you buy an item and use it in the game for a month of playtime when you could just pay for a freaking month of game time? Well, the scrolls are tradable. And it's a system much like we've seen in Eve Online, with, you know, with, I don't know but enough about Eve to really comment on it in depth, but you can use in game currency to purchase game time. And that's what we're seeing here. This is en masse Entertainment's way of combating gold selling by allowing players to sell and trade the gold themselves. You buy the chrono scroll, you'd sell it to a friend for 4,000 gold. You just bought 4,000 gold for 15 bucks. Your friend just made 15 bucks for however long it takes to make 4,000 gold. I, I think it's awesome. I'm okay with it. I uh, damn right I, so am I. I am 100% <laughs> okay with it. I'm just surprised that I haven't heard that much from the community on this one yet. Like you look at the forums and it's all just kind of huh? <laughs> like even even the the people, you
0: know, following the game don't quite know how to react. Cuz well, a lot of people go ahead. Well, the reason is, is that I mean, you're still going to be limited in terms of how many times you can sell um, sell that that month to say the same person. If mm. if I'm buying if you worked and you earned four thousand gold and then I say, okay, I'll buy it from you. And then I'm gonna give you a month of playtime. Okay. And then Joe says, damn, that's a good deal. Here, I'll give you a month of play time to you, and then you give him four thousand as well. So now you've got two months of game time. I mean, at some point you're going to say, "Okay, well, you know what? I've got like six months of game time, boys. I don't need any more game time cards. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> I'm good." So I think that that's partially why they're looking at it as not that big a deal, because quite frankly, again, it's just a month of game time. How many can you stack up before you stop and say, "Okay, uh, that's it"? Yeah,
1: like EVE is such a an economy-driven game. People take pride in having this hoard. You know, I have 50,000 real-world dollars worth of game stuff. Well, that's great. Blow it up, you're fucking screwed. <laughs> but it, th- we're going to see a lot more actual economics at play here with supply and demand. And let's keep in mind, the gold sellers aren't going away. And I think this is something between the Diablo auction house, which we've discussed at length, and now this, that companies are realizing... After, what, 10, 12 years of trying, you can't beat them. <laughs> no matter what you do, they're not going to go away. No matter what restrictions you put into the game, it, it, it's not going to stop. People are still going to black market sell gold in game currency, etc., items, power levels. You cannot stop it. So you might as well just try and put a cork in the dam. But see, the way that I look at that is,
0: and 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 I don't want to defend, you know, goal sellers that are hacking people's account and things like that. That's not what I'm saying at all here. But what I want to say is, why are they still in business? Because there's a freaking demand for it. Mm -hmm. So you have to consider that there are a ton of people who are all right with paying five bucks for a sword or paying a few bucks for some gold or you know that kind of thing that they're fine with that even though they bought the game even though they paid the monthly charge even though they they buy other games and whatnot they're okay with spending a little bit more to get whatever it is that they want so i mean there has to have come a point where the developers realize that and realize you know what there's a fuck ton of people here who want to give us more money. (laughs) It's right there. They want to give it to us, but we're not taking it. We're trying to appear like we're taking the quote-unquote higher ground, higher moral ground that, oh, no, 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 you shouldn't buy items. You shouldn't. Earn them. Screw that. You know what? I'm sorry, but anybody who thinks, no, 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 you should earn everything. It's a game. It's not like I, you know, the the house that I earned by working my ass off. No, it's a game. I don't have to earn it. I can buy it because I bought it so that I can play it and have fun. So, as it stands right now in WoW, there's a couple of things that I'd love to buy, but I don't feel. Like wasting hours upon hours grinding for cash or grinding, you know, picking herbs all over the damn place just so that I can have enough money to buy it. If I could just give someone, you know, 10 bucks and they give me a couple of thousand gold, I don't know what gold goes for nowadays, but whatever, you know, from what I understand, it's pretty cheap now. I'd be all right with that. In fact, it would be like, tear, take my money. (laughs) I want that sword (laughs) over there, but I can't afford it. So... I think that more games should just be doing that at this point. Like, screw it, just sell me what I want. And the important thing to point out here that
1: sets this system apart from the Diablo auction house or your traditional microtransaction system in smaller free-to-play games, masse really isn't profiting off this at all. It, it Everything they're selling, you, you, they're selling you 15 bucks of game time. Somebody's using that $15 of game time instead of spending their own, and I'm just using $15 as the standard they haven't officially announced it yet Somebody's just going to use that instead of spending their own 15 dollars so unless you get people like an eve who just hoard the stuff for no good reason on mass really isn't going to be making any money off of this system it's just something they put into the game because they truly feel it's a better way for their players to to just play the game
0: well they are making something they're making the money from the 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 months that are being sold so but I mean, but like i'm saying it it if all right. It's it's the if, same thing as saying, you know, like Wow's not making money from their subscriptions. Well, they, they kind of are. So, anytime but, that they're selling more subscriptions, then there you go. And the fact that they're going to be offering something like this probably means that there will be more subscriptions because people will be able to go that route now. So, they're still making money. It's a, it's it, a, it's a marketing move. Don't kid yourself. Yes, yeah. It's, yeah.
1: I, I just it's not like they're making additional money on top of on, on top of a subscription. is what I'm saying. If if I'm paying 15 bucks a month, you're paying 15 bucks a month. They're both making $30. If I'm paying 15 bucks a month and buy a chrono scroll and give it to you, yeah. they're still
0: making $30. Yeah, like, but in, they would have the lost end. money because I may not have stayed and now I'm going to stay for another month because you bought me one. So, I, 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 the, I, I, it I, is definitely yeah. making them money without a doubt because uh, again, it's it's it, they have to expect that there's going to be a lot of loss sales over time from people stopping playing the game. That's just the way that it goes. So this will prevent some of that and keep them in the game longer. All right, I, I I can see that side. It's not
1: something I really had
0: thought about too much. I think ahead. All right, let's move ahead. And let's talk about one of the games that I've made it quite clear that I cannot freaking wait to play this game. And, of course, that's Wildstar. Their panel was was very good. Now I'm thinking that excuse me, as we are getting further ahead now, now that they finally have announced the game, we're going to be hearing a lot more about it. So it's going to be not just gameplay, but actual, you know, behind the scenes lore and what we can expect from the game. And that was some of what we saw here. So the the panel was with Jeremy Gaffney, Eric DeMilt, and Mike Donatelli. And they're, of course, from Carbine Studios. So what they did is they talked about how the game is going to work in terms of quote unquote paths. So the game is not just going to be limited to in terms of gameplay by the class and the race that you choose, but also the path. Now the path is something that you choose that allows you to experience path specific questing. Whereas like in other MMOs, you could equate it to potentially class specific. Well here it's path. So what they have with their paths are, there. there's four of them. There's the explorers, the soldiers, the scientists, and the settlers. And we'll go a little bit more into them in a bit. But what it is is that they're talking about a 70-30 split, wherein 30% of the questing that you will do will be path-specific. And again, whatever your your class and race are, have no bearing on this. So you can be whatever you want, but if you choose to be a soldier, 30% of your questing will be soldier-specific. So other classes can will have a little bit of them but not all of them because that's where that 70% comes in the 70% is going to be a generic blend but also going to be some of the questing from the other paths so that you get a sample of what it would be like to be those classes as well thereby encouraging you to also play those classes but also to tie you in more they're really going to be trying to make it so that your um your your, your group composition will not just be about the race, and, well, not really. Race, race rarely ever plays into it, but the class that you choose, but also the path, because that's going to have a huge bearing in what you can do in a given circumstance. It, because you can all work together on things, and I liked the example that they gave about that, about the classes working. Or sorry, sorry, the paths working together, and who can do what. Because again, each of those paths will have a very distinctive. Um, addition to your gameplay that you wouldn't otherwise have. It is very cool. Do you want to tackle the paths What they are? Okay. Uh, we're going to go ahead and start off with the one that actually looks like
1: I'm going to enjoy the most, and that's the explorers. And what the explorers are is your path-specific goal is they'll just put a freaking marker, you know, out on top of a mountain and say, go there. They're not going to tell you how to get there, (laughs) but you're going to have to figure that on your own. You're actually going to have to go explore the game world. You might have to hop along some rocks. You might have to find a hidden path underneath a tree or deal with landslides and all kinds of environmental effects to reach that goal and gain your experience and story and whatever bonus for getting there. And for me, I think that's really cool, and I'm going to possibly embarrass myself here for a bit but when it came out I tried the uh, Sony free-to-play RPG Free Realms and one of the classes that you could play in that game was an Explorer class where your entire goal was just to go around and find all the cool stuff that was hidden around the world and I thought that was really cool and now we're actually getting this in a full fledged MMO and I personally can't wait to try this one out just I I, I love the lore and we're going to get to the, you know, the quote lore path later but This is something that I think I'm just going to have a whole lot of fun with actually playing in the game.
0: Oh, so am I. And what I especially like about this, too, is that they give you tools specifically to help you along with that so that you're going to have abilities to survive an avalanche that the other paths won't kind of thing that's freaking awesome I love that and then they give you things like the locator beacon that's only available to explorers that's going to help you find a way to hard to reach areas and things like that but what I liked as well is once again how they're talking that the paths can work together so that if you and I are playing together and you're that Explorer and I'm the scientist then we are going to basically get the most amount of knowledge knowledge of that planet because you'll be able to take us to places that otherwise I necessar- I wouldn't be able to. And along the way, my freaking robots are going to be able to scan everything and give us the lore of everything while we're going around. To, that was for me, ironically, I mean, most MMOs, all you care about is the combat and the, what you're going to do and things like that and, and the questing. And here I am looking at these and I'm thinking, man, explorer and a scientist together would be able to just see and experience so much of that that planet i thought that was awesome yeah so moving on to that that scientist
1: the scientists are again the quote lore class you have your little tricorder scanner what have you and you just go around the planet scanning everything you scan a plant it'll tell you more about the plant you, you, know, you scan uh, you know, a piece of rubble it'll tell you more about you know the building that used to be and the lore behind it you scan a pile of junk and you'll learn how to make a little robot pet that follows you around. You scan a bunch of enemies, and suddenly you reveal a weakness for that type of enemy that will then help you out in combat. And this seems like the the scientist role is going to be really cool when it comes to the group play because of all the various things they can do just just by checking stuff out. You walk past something, look at it. Who knows what you can find?
0: Yeah, I'm looking at this very much as the the probably the best healer path, because you're going to be able to help with the buffs for the group by scanning plants. And then you're also going to be able to find those weaknesses, which will help the rest of the group as well. And I, I don't know, I just see it as a, a perfect path to choose. Dude, my bunny girl, my bunny healer girl, that's what she's doing. She's going to be a scientist. So you can be a freaking explorer, but make him some sort of like the warrior class kind of thing so that when we go exploring, you can tackle everything. I'll heal your ass with my little bunny ears. It'll be awesome. You're going to be
1: the creepiest
0: bunny ever. I am confident enough in my manhood that I will play that bunny girl like nobody's ever played a bunny girl. I can't wait to see the male bunny. That's going to be hilarious. I hadn't even (laughs) thought of that. (laughs) (laughs) They might not offer one. Maybe they just don't. They procreate differently. It wouldn't be the
1: first time a a game
0: has done something like that. They don't do it like bunnies is all I'm saying. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Moving on then to the soldier. All right.
1: Yeah. We're going to tackle soldier. Soldier is exactly what you would expect it to be. They give you an objective. You go out there, you kill a bunch of crap and you're done. But the way the soldier is handling it is a bit Different. It's not just a kill quest. Uh, They're saying a lot of, at least early on, a lot of their objectives are defend this position. They'll throw a bunch of enemies at you. All right, later on it's defend this position. They'll throw a bunch of enemies at you, and then a big ass boss. (laughs) So they're really ramping it up, and then. evolving it it's like, okay instead of defending the spot defend this person send you on an escort quest or defend this town and playing a tower defense mini game that's freaking cool that's awesome
0: it is it's absolutely awesome
1: so it shows how you can take the the you know the, the traditional just warrior type role and really change it up and do something unique with it and that's what's really exciting me about wildstar it's every single thing it does has that unique little twist that makes you want to try it out
0: well it's going to be that class that you can play sorry not class path that you can play wherein if you just want to bounce in and have some fun and you're not interested in 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 questing per se or in you know exploring or whatever you just want to go in and let's just kill some stuff let's just have some fun and, and fight wave after wave and just have some fun then i mean you play this class and level it up as you're going and that style of play is going to continue to change with you so that it's not always doing the exact same thing it, it, it just gets better so for me this, that's that's the i've already kind of decided that's my my alt that i'm really looking forward to playing because it's going to be fun and, you know just bounce in do some wave after wave gather whatever loot it is that you you get from doing that have some fun and then there you go move on <laughs> But the last one, dude, settlers, seriously, am I the only one that thinks that's lame? I don't want to say lame, but I'm lame. not as cool. <laughs> <laughs> that, I, I, I can, by default,
1: that makes it lame. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can definitely see the appeal for the settlers They're exactly what they sound like. They've come to make a home on the planet. So you'll come to a quest hub town, and you'll see a ruined building in the back. And you'll be able to build that up. And not just build a building, you'll be able to choose how you build it. You can build an armory. You can build a medical center. You can build uh, an inn. and what the settler chooses to build in all these various spots throughout the world, not just in towns, scattered all over the place, is going to affect how the rest of the players really interact in the world. like if if you know you're at a really tough part of the game where a lot of people keep dying, that might be a good place to build a medical center so people can, you know res on the spot or what have you. So I think settlers, at least as a solo, Path might not be that interesting especially compared to the explorer or the soldier but I, I think for people who like to group up for people who like to be that social type of player that just you know deals with everybody who walks past i think it's going to be an interesting way to go about it
0: the only way that it would interest interest me is and, and it sounds terribly selfish but it is that if if whatever i'm building benefits me in terms of like a monetary thing where I fixed up this blacksmith so I now get a portion of the the, the the sales that they get, you know, or I I fixed up the inn so I get a portion of that or I fixed up the inn and now I have player housing inside of there. That no other character can have, but I can because I fix it up. Or maybe I fix it up and I can sell it. You know that kind of thing. If they make it so that it's much more than just you know you fix this up and it's going to help everybody else fix their swords. Whoop de freaking do! That I, to me that means nothing. And I, and I. I'm sorry that that doesn't make me sound like much of a team player, but the truth is, is that that's not the type of experience I want from a game. I mean, you're playing a game because you want something that's much grander than your your pitiful freaking life. So, so <laughs> making freaking be a building to help others with their fixer black, the, the blacksmith, the fixer swords, I'm sorry, but like that's really not going to be doing that much for me. So, Again, it's, it's going to have to be something wherein I think um, th- it does a lot more to benefit the actual person who's doing it, whether it's through monetary means or that it allows you that, again, that player housing or something like that. I can see how it can be cool if it goes down that path, but, I mean, you're, you're then making it pretty complicated by doing something like that.
1: Yeah, Well, we'll have to see because I can definitely see it appealing to
0: at least a certain subset of the players. Yeah, some, some, yeah, depending on just how much I do for it. So there's your four paths. Um, They do look very interesting. Uh, Well, three of them look very interesting. Two of them especially interesting. And uh, and I, I, I can't wait to play it. Now, in terms of the actual lore, what it is is basically the this planet used to be home to the most powerful race in the galaxy, the Eldens, And the race basically mysteriously vanished, but their defense system has remained. And now hundreds of years later, people are landing on the planet, and you've got a variety of people landing on, hence the four paths. You have people who want to explore, people who want to settle in, people who want to plunder, all kinds of things like that. And so basically that's how they're, they're setting it up. so I mean, they really didn't divulge that much in terms of major storylines. like I mean that's all that is is telling you how you got there. That's not actually giving you mm-hmm. even an overall arc. Of what we can expect from the story but being that it is an mmo and seeing how much they've they've spent just on what we've seen so far i'm going to assume that there's a crap load of lore that they're not letting us in on and of course a lot of it is going to have to do with that Elden race and i'm thinking probably a lot of it is going to have to do with you trying to figure out what exactly happened
1: mm-hmm. um the thing i really liked most about this is at the end When they explained how all the different paths are going to work together. I thought that was really cool because let's keep in mind, any class can be any path. So the, the scientist type could be your warrior type class. So the way they're going to work together is pretty cool for me. Like they said, okay, let's say you're assaulting this enemy encampment. First of all, your soldier runs in, gathers everybody's attention and holds the line meanwhile your settler builds up fortifications you know behind what that means i don't know maybe it'll stop enemies from respawning maybe it'll create siege weapons we really don't know enough about the settler class yet but i have to assume it'll be helpful (laughs) your scientist is going to be going around scanning the enemies so that the rest of your group is that much more effective combating them and then meanwhile your explorer has just bailed Found a path around the flank and is now sniping the enemies from behind. That is so cool because we, we we talk so much about you know class synergy in games and you know how does the mage work with the the
0: rogue and everything. And this takes it just to another level. See, that's what I was saying before too. Yeah, when they're talking about how the paths are going to work together, and again, it's what you were saying: how the the race class combination has nothing to do with your path. So you really are going to have some very, very interesting group combinations that you're going to be able to work with and be able to accomplish things differently. So basically, Group A and Group B are going to be able to accomplish the same goal, finish the same quest, but in very, very different ways. And that, to me, is very interesting. Like.
1: We talk so much about games having that replay value in an MMO. And you know, a game like Terra, who it looks like you're pretty much going to be running through the same zones, might not have that much replay aside from you know, testing out the different combat mechanics. Well, this is going to give you that opportunity to play through a, the exact same zone progression, but have enough unique content and just flat-out gameplay style that even though 70% of the content you've already done it's going to feel different.
0: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I, I'm really, really interested by that because, again, it's going to be something we in. I'm, I'm going to be playing a couple of characters, and I already know that this is going to be a game where I, I'm definitely going to be experiencing a lot of the same content, very similar regardless of what alt i create kind of thing yes there will be some differences but you're also still going to come across a lot of the same stuff but what you do with it then is going to be very different because you can tackle each quest. Well, I mean, each, I'm, I'm putting air quotes here, um, differently based on, on what path you chose. It's it's very exciting, actually. It's, it's, that, it's adding a whole new dimension to your class. I mean, we're so used to just, you know, your race class kind of thing, and yet here we're going to have that another factor that's going to work into the puzzle. And then from there, especially when you're looking at group compositions, it's just going to open up so many different ways of playing the game.
1: Yeah, it's, it's just really exciting to see all the different approaches various companies are taking to the MMO this year alone. Star Wars, Terra, Guild Wars, uh, Wildstar. They're all taking the same formula and going in different
0: directions with it. It's, it's a very exciting time to be an MMO fan. Okay, so going from there now to Guild Wars 2, the last MMO we're going to touch on tonight, Um there was nothing that I read that was quite different than from what we'd already read and heard, but you were saying that there was a couple things that you hadn't picked up on before, like what?
1: Um, yeah, like we said, uh, I haven't been following this game quite as closely as you guys, until recently. <laughs> they, they, they absolutely won me over at Gamescom. Uh, something that you, we, we had talked about last week and you didn't seem very happy about was the
0: underwater content. Well and I, let me clarify it's not that I'm I'm un, un, unhappy with it it's that it basically does nothing for me it's I, and by that I don't I'm not even implying anything negative with that so much as I'm holding complete judgment until such time as I actually get to play because it can be done so unbelievably bad and it can be done very very well sadly well, I shouldn't say sadly but with this game here I mean we're talking they were saying a quarter of the questing of the game is going to be underwater. So I'm thinking it better damn well be very well done because otherwise that's a crap load of content there that if it's bad, wow, that's going to ruin a lot of people's experiences.
1: Yeah, that's 25% of the world, including cities, including questing areas, including Dungeons. dungeons. and I really like the unique spin they're putting on the underwater combat. You're not just doing your same combat just happened to be underwater. It's working completely differently. They're using the three dimensions that an underwater combat gives you, how you can sling chains around an enemy and make them sink to the bottom. You can you know, shoot a bubble at them and make them float to the top. And just the way they're treating the underwater combat as something completely different from the on-land combat, that's refreshing at, at the very least. And I... I I'm just like you. I'm going to obviously have to save my final judgment until I actually try it. But at least going in, I'm a little more interested in it than you are. Probably because I never played (laughs) Vashir.
0: Yeah, really. If you played Vash, then that's (laughs) if you played on any class other than a druid you're not going to be looking forward to this so that's why i'm really hoping that they do they they do justice now that being said though again that's something that we did see at gamescom they did talk a lot about the underwater combat so again i'm not i didn't see anything new here but again we might be at a point where they've kind of not necessarily oversaturated but pretty much given us you know, all that we're going to need to see for quite a while and until we get to much higher level content stuff. Because we've been getting a ton of news recently about it. And, well, of course, with all the conventions going on. So, in, it, it, I mean, I already knew I was going to be playing the game. And the more I keep hearing, it's just, it's, it's a certainty that i'm buying it if it was a game that had a paid monthly fee then considering all the other mmos i actually would have to think about it just based on the strength of the other ones and my pocketbook basically but the fact that it's going to be free it's it's a definite purchase Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, a couple other small things that may have been popular knowledge but i didn't know how for example your weapons are going to have different abilities based on what class you're playing as how how we know the more you use a weapon that's how you unlock the skills the more often you use it the more skills you unlock up to i think they said five weapon skills but how it's going to be different depending on what class a thief class i don't know what the heck they're called using a dagger okay (laughs) (laughs) i did not know if it was rogue or ninja or whatever (laughs) Uh, a thief using a dagger is going to function completely differently from a necromancer using a dagger. Again, it might have been common knowledge, but I did not know it prior to reading this article. And I, again, I find that very cool.
0: Yeah, no, that had been said before, and it it's definitely something that's very cool. Because what's interesting then is that the um, each item is going to hold a... I mean, if something is valuable to only one class or only a couple of classes like in other mmos then its its value is limited but then if you're looking at something like this wherein a lot of people could use this and use it differently it adds again a whole new dimension to what you want your armor to be Uh, you have a lot more choices in terms of what you can do because each one offers you different abilities it's not just the stats on them but also the abilities are going to be different Mm -hmm.
1: And then just finally, I've always said that I enjoy crafting in MMOs, but over the years that that interest has waned quite a bit because I get tired of just menu, click, go to the bathroom, come back. I have items. So how they said how that they're putting experimentation into the crafting system and actually allowing people to create their own recipes. I have no idea how it's going to work, but I'm intrigued that that's that's something that i'm looking forward to that's going to make guild wars different from those other games on top of everything else let's face it crafting is a part of mmos and i can't think of the last one that did crafting really that differently than anybody else except for the final fantasy games and that was the wrong different because fuck final fantasy and fuck final (laughs) fantasy crafting (laughs) so i i i really as much as you're looking forward to getting your hands on with say the underwater and seeing just how that's going to work and just how different it's going to be i really want to get my hands on the crafting and see just how different it's going to be
0: that's fine i'll go explore and kill shit you can make me some armor and daggers all right (laughs) all right do you need a break or are we still good to go i would like a refill okay good we're going to take a break for a few minutes guys and then we'll be right back
1: Two weeks ago, I reviewed Catherine, the latest console offering from Atlas. This week, I'm looking at one of their most recent handheld releases, Radiant Historia. Radiant Historia originally released in February of this year, but like many Atlas games, it received a limited printing and sold out almost immediately. In a rare move for the publisher, they released a second printing of the game in April, minus the free soundtrack that was packed in, which is when I purchased it. On the surface, Radiant Historia is a by-the-numbers Japanese RPG. The main character is Stock, the stereotypical enigmatic swordsman. He's accompanied by the usual cast of characters. The strong-but-silent best friend, the hyperactive child, the badass princess, and a few others join him on a quest to save the world from an unknown evil. And of course, the usual flamboyant villains stand in their way. Yes, traditional JRPG fare here. But what sets Radiant Historia apart is the way it tells its story. Stock is an intelligence officer working for the military. His country, Alistel, is at war with its closest neighbor, Grand Org. Some mysterious force is slowly changing the entire continent to desert, and the more time that passes, the more violent the battles are over the remaining habitable pieces of land. Early in the game, Stock comes into possession of an artifact called the White Chronicle which allows him to enter the world of Historia to travel time and correct any mistakes, which is vitally important because a single mistake could lead to the world's destruction. Shortly after acquiring the White Chronicle, Stock is faced with a difficult choice. Should he stay with military intelligence where his skilled could be best put to use, or follow his heart and return to the front lines alongside his best friend? Through the power of the White Chronicle, both options are actually available, creating divergent timelines Stock can and must travel between. Throughout the game, Stock will hit several roadblocks during his quest that can only be overcome by learning new skills in the alternate timeline. With this switching between the two times, we get to see the story play out from two completely different points of view, slowly unraveling the conspiracy behind it all. Beyond that, Stock will usually have different companions available to him in the different timelines, switching up the gameplay and combat in the game. The combat is another point where Radiant Historia exceeds beyond its roots. Once again, on the surface, it's a standard turn-based RPG, with special attacks, magic spells, and bizarre enemies. However, those enemies occupy a 3x3 square grid on the battlefield, and that space is very important. Many of the special skills exist not necessarily to deal damage, but to move enemies around that grid. You can push enemies onto the same space, setting up combo opportunities, as well as group them together for area-of-effect attacks or forcing them onto traps you set on the battlefield. However, your enemies can use the grid to their advantage as well, hiding behind defensive walls or even setting themselves up in powerful attack configurations. The battlefield is constantly changing, which means combat never feels repetitive. It never feels easy either. The game keeps the difficulty at a good balance point, you can never press A to win. Solid tactics will see you through every battle, and no fight really feels unwinnable Unless you're seriously underleveled. Overall, I often found myself enjoying Radiant Historia more than Dragon Quest IX, which was my RPG of the year for 2010. True, Radiant Historia doesn't do anything terribly original, but it builds on the traditional JRPG so successfully that it is well worth the 50 to 60 hours you'll put into it. It may be a bit hard to find at retail. But a little searching online or at your local pre-owned game seller should yield some
0: great results. And we are back. We've actually only got a couple of other packs, things to talk about and then just some random shit. Um, the, the one thing that I wanted to talk about, and some people may or may not be interested in this, they, they had quite a bit to talk about with Dragon Age. I'm actually going to let you do this one.
1: All right. So we had our Dragon Age panel. And not necessarily a Dragon Age 2 panel. They called it the future of Dragon Age. And I have various accounts uh, of the panel, as well as interviews, and even stuff Bioware had put up on their forums afterwards. This is just kind of an amalgamation of all the information I've received over the past week in results to Dragon Age. And the first thing I'd like to throw out there is a direct quote, we're not done with Morrigan. Which is very good, because... They weren't done with Morrigan when they thought they were done with Morrigan. We don't need to talk about witch hunt any more than we already have in the past, but it's nice to know that they don't think they finished that plot line.
0: Well, not just that, but I'm hoping that they're going to do it justice this time around. It's all well and good to say we're not done with this character. Yeah, but you better freaking do right by her and if you decide to write about her
1: again. Yeah, and then just on the other side of that, they have said, and quote try to resolve the story of the old god baby so I, I don't know what their plan was for that in the first place if they're only going to make an
0: attempt at resolving it yeah, really. I mean, they have a freaking wiki for Mass Effect, and you didn't plan this far ahead for major plot points in Dragon Age? What the hell? Like, I mean, I'm thinking there's, there's what, a different in the budget there for each of the game development teams? Because they should be have this all laid out. This should be seriously all laid out that they knew what they were doing before they freaking started.
1: As I've said ever since about halfway through the life cycle of dragon age origins i don't think they expected derek dragon age to be this popular so they kind of threw it out there a few months before mass effect 2 hit the game had been in development for a freaking lifetime i think they actually expected just to put the one game out and be done with it
0: i i find that hard to believe i mean it's still bioware they still do plan ahead I'd like to think that they actually... I'm not seeing a lot of proof of that. Okay, I'm not going to lie to you (laughs) (laughs) about that. But, I mean, I don't know. I I would think that they would plan ahead all the way through. But again, from what we're reading, they still don't know what they're going to be doing with certain major story plot lines. So, eh, who the hell knows? Yeah, it, There's a big hat that up. has a whole bunch of ideas written on little pieces of paper and they just pick a couple. They work on those.
1: Well, apparently one of the uh, items they picked out of that hat was an image that somehow got revealed that Bioware didn't quite want to talk about yet that involved Hawk riding on the back of a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, apparently the legacy downloadable content for Dragon Age 2 was rather well received. I couldn't told you because Because I was so sick of Dragon Age 2 by the time I finished it. I'm not giving them any more money just yet. So, I don't know. A lot of people are saying they like it. Apparently it was well received by the community. So they're trying to follow that trend. They flat out said, they they pulled a Molyneux and said, yes, our DLC for Dragon Age Origins was subpar. So we're trying to spend time creating less DLC for Dragon Age 2 at a higher quality level, which... Apparently, from what I've heard, is what Legacy has achieved.
0: Um, I I got nothing. After everything that we'd seen in the other ones, it was like, nah, no.
1: And how they're putting more emphasis on encounter design as part of their uh, development of the game. How they want battles to be more tactical, which... I liked a lot of the concept they did going from Origins to Dragon Age 2. How they're putting a lot of emphasis in their development process on improving the combat. And I liked a lot of the changes they made going from Origins to Dragon Age 2. They made it more active without losing a lot of the tactical appeal of Origins, and you could still position your troops and whatnot. Just the way that the actual encounters were designed in Dragon Age 2, you couldn't take advantage of that. If you positioned your group perfectly, you had the archer over here, you had your rogue over here, you had your tank, you had your healer, and then you defeated the enemies, and then a whole bunch of a second wave of enemies spawned, literally on top of your healer, you were screwed. So you really couldn't use the tactical aspects of the game To its fullest, and that's something that they're addressing not only in legacy but in future downloadable contents on into Dragon Age 3. Because I'd like to see them keep the same concept of the combat, just execute it better.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I do.
1: All right, uh, other missteps they made. How they acknowledge that Anders' personality change between uh what the heck was the expansion called uh, awakening and dragon age 2 was a bit abrupt, abrupt? well yeah <laughs> while they're happy with the end result they're not happy with the jarring transition because anders was you know the goofball of awakening he was you know the, the comedy relief he was uh alistair without the stick up his ass <laughs> and just coming into dragon age 2 was a big what the fuck so <laughs> i the It's at least nice to know they're acknowledging the mistakes they've
0: made. It was a huge, huge change in the character. Huge change in the character. And I mean it bothered me initially, but then, you know, I got used to it, so it's not a big deal. But it is definitely something that I mean, again, if you're looking at a a series of games that you're working on, you want your character to be characters to be the same. Yes, they're gonna change as normal people would, but nothing like that. I mean, again, you don't have to look any further than Mass Effect. It's the same goddamn company. Look at the characters in Mass Effect and how they remain true to who they are, and yet you really don't get that in Dragon Age.
1: Yeah, it's like there's a DLC missing in there to tell the rest of the story. Yeah. All right, so looking past Dragon Age 2 and its DLC and ahead to Dragon Age 3, we got a lot of tidbits of what they're actually trying to do and how they said the entire purpose of Dragon Age 2 was to create the conflict that will be at the forefront of Dragon Age 3, namely the mages versus the Templars. And I'll say for all its faults, Dragon Age 2 did succeed on that front. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah,
0: especially when you got buildings fucking blowing up and shit. Dude, that was so freaking awesome. <laughs> it wasn't awesome, awesome, but it was freaking awesome. That was the scene that made my jaw drop. It was, it was, it was just freaking. I was not expecting that.
1: Not at all. I, I literally didn't know how to react. I had to sit there staring at the screen for a few minutes to
0: figure out what to do. I would have loved a replay button. That's what Dragon Age needs. Okay, freaking Bioware, make it happen. A freaking instant replay button so that we can see <laughs> the cutscenes again a couple of times because that one went by too fast and the shock of it didn't allow you to appreciate everything that was actually happening in it i would have loved to have seen it again
1: yeah uh, that was a highlight of the game by far so beyond the, the story they're really talking a lot about the gameplay elements they're putting in and one thing they teased was your party setup is going to be more important beyond just traditional tank healer dps how they're considering having various passive bonuses applied to the group depending on which characters you choose which is which is really really nice like it's it it's not something essential but if you like to have that cool group synergy of a group that not only works well together but you know have those fun conversations like Alistair and Morgan in the first one Taking it to just another yeah. level is is a nice addition.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely.
1: And the big thing they talked about was character customization. A huge, huge complaint about Dragon Age 2 is how there was no customization for your companions. Their appearance stayed the same from beginning to end, with the exception of a few small events throughout the game that could change it. And you couldn't even really customize their armor that much. You yeah. had, I think, what was it, like a helmet <laughs> and a belt slot, some, nothing. It, it, yeah, it wasn't it was terrible. there. terrible. So you had to vendor all of your freaking gear because, while well, it was still dropping crap you might not have needed as your Hawk character. So they want to bring companion customization back for Dragon Age 3. They want to keep the concept of Dragon Age 2, how your followers are always going to have a unique appearance. It's not just going to be suit of armor on a character model. But they do want you to be able to choose at various points throughout the game, either by questing or leveling up or – any number of other reasons, finding items in chests, you will be able to find alternate appearances for your companion characters and then choose how you want them to look. And one of the things that they said that really sets this apart from how it was in the first Dragon Age, in Dragon Age 1, you put a suit of armor, that's what they wore. You put on boots, that's what they wore. The way they're trying to do it now is that there's more actual character. Like for Meryl, if you give Meryl a pair of gloves, they're not just going to cover her hands. They're going to go all the way up to her elbow like Meryl's gloves do in Dragon Age 2, or Isabella, her boots like to come up above the knee, which a natural graphic for that doesn't exist in the game. So it gives the artists and the developers a lot more room to work with with this method. But as the player, you're still going to be able to equip them with anything you find, anything they can use. It just won't change their appearance graphically, but you'll still have all the statistical bonuses of equipping them however you want.
0: Again, very cool.
1: Okay. So it's nice to see that they're acknowledging their missteps and really trying to improve going from the second to the third. It's kind of what we saw with Mass Effect, though their missteps weren't quite as disastrous. Not even close. (laughs) Not even close.
0: And see, that's part of why I'm kind of mad right now, because, and I mean, unlike Joe, Joe, who, Joe, it's not mad. There's just hatred there now for the IP. Whereas, I just, there's some parts that I enjoyed, but there were so many that I really was not as impressed with. And I'm wondering at this point now, if the IP has kind of lost my interest. I mean, they said that Dragon Age 3 is still quite a while off. And unlike most games, I'm happy with that. That actually makes me very happy because right now we've got, similar type games with Skyrim and then Reckoning coming out in the spring of next year. And I'm thinking if DA3 were coming out any time from now until when I'm likely to be done the Reckoning, I could probably, I can easily see myself not even picking it up. Mm-hmm.
1: So it, especially with that really quick turnaround we had from the first to the second, was like 15 months? No, nah, I don't even think it was that much, was it? I'd say approximately. But it, yeah, it, it was way pass. too way too quick for the amount of uh, work they were trying to do. So it's
0: nice to see them taking their time. Yeah, definitely. Now, one of the games, however, that we're definitely not done with the IP, that's Bioshock Infinite. Now, I'm not going to talk too much about what they were talking about in terms of the game and whatnot what was interesting for me was actually the video that they had with Kevin Levine and or sorry Ken Levine and the um, the voice actors for Elizabeth as well as the the uh, the male character and what was interesting about it is that just like whenever Ken has been talking about um um different things going on with the characters and they're wanting to get the um certain emotions across for those characters for you as the players. So case in point, really caring about Elizabeth very early on. And so what this is doing is they're they're using a lot of different psychology and different things so that you can um you can really quickly feel an attachment to the character. And what I loved is that they applied that to the voice acting as well. So, you're not going to get lame voice acting in this game. They they really worked at it. And what was cool is that they showed the woman who plays Elizabeth and that's uh Courtney Draper. And what they did is they didn't have enough time to get her prepared for the scene where she's doing the rip In tear the the tear and time, uh, well, time and space and everything kind of thing. When she's at the (laughs) horse, and then they go to the freaking eighties of our world kind of thing, and then they rip back, and then she is he he's giving her a hard time, and then she's finally saying, "No, she can't control it." And it was cool because there wasn't enough time for um for the actress to get emotionally set up for the scene so that she could properly portray it so what they did is the the male actor I can't remember what his name was Troy Baker okay yeah he just berated her and it was her it was Ken and and her saying yeah to the point where she was saying more do it more (laughs) and he was just berating and berating her until she was finally in tears and delivered the line with the voice cracking and everything but Again, professional actress, she's saying, can we do it another time? I I think I screwed up. I can do it even better. And it was like, it was freaking awesome to see. And it gives you that nice little behind the scenes. That I mean, when you see um, uh, Nolan, what the hell, Nolan... Nolan North. North. When you're seeing him, a lot of the times, he, I mean, he makes it look so easy. I mean, granted, <laughs> he, he's not doing these emotional scenes like this, but he makes it look so damn easy. But when you're seeing this, you're really seeing how this woman worked for this part, and it shows in the 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 character when you're playing the game and you're seeing this, those demos. I, I think Ken Levine was enjoying his role in the situation a bit too much. So. Well, there is that,
1: <laughs> but. I, I think we're really seeing a major change in how voice acting is affecting gaming. Because previous generation, you just had, you know, random voice actor they pulled off the street reading the, the lines off the script, you know, a la Final Fantasy X. Which, uh. But anyway, how this generation, we're really seeing the voice acting go so far beyond what we've seen before with this, uh, with freaking Mark Hamill. I, I don't think I need to say anything more than that. But. Uh, One thing I liked is at the very end of the clip here, Adam Sessler, who was uh, moderating the panel, I guess, pointed out how both actors were in the booth at the same time, which is not something that's really ever done for voice acting. It's always individual, sequestered, secluded, just do your lines. And this is the first instance I have seen of two voice actors in the same booth together who can actually act off each other instead of just trying their best to record the lines.
0: Actually I have seen a little bit more where they do put some actors together sometimes they they will put only a couple of the actors together to do lines whereas a lot of the other ones will still only deliver their one line but you are seeing more instances in especially in standalone rpgs where they will bring a couple in to do lines uh that's something that we saw with uncharted when they were doing the videos for the uh, behind the scenes for uncharted and uncharted 2 um when they had that on the psn so and i have seen it uh, in other cases as well case in point with the next video we're going to be talking about as well but it is something that i think that makes a huge huge difference so long as the characters or the actors are comfortable with that if the actors are Mm -hmm. comfortable with playing off of each other then it works but then there's a lot of actors that do very well just delivering their lines so in this case it was quite obvious that these two worked very well together it was awesome and I think
1: it's really going to be very important, specifically for this game, because of the relationship between Booker and yeah. Elizabeth. And I think that's really going to pay off on the voice acting, and I really is, I really respect Irrational for it.
0: Well, the thing that was cool is that as you're watching this, you're really seeing how—I mean, yes, he's he's playing out of character much more harshly with her and whatnot. Though, in all honesty, doing seeing how they were doing it, I would have been even more— harsh and berating her even more with less pauses in between to get her really, really riled up. And that's what she wanted because it made such a difference in how she delivered the line. Then it's like, you can really feel it. And then it makes sense because when, whenever we'd been watching videos beforehand and you could feel how, I mean, how good the voice acting was, especially for her because she's such a unique character and, it just felt like the voice acting was really bang on. And, you know, I was thinking, oh, they found a really good actress that, you know, that's their their character type. No, the woman worked at it. She worked her mm-hmm. ass off. And, and it shows when you see this behind the scenes. So I thought it was very cool. So then moving on from there now to the other one that we got to see a very interesting video. And that was for Spider-Man Edge of Time. And this was cool because... I mean, there was nothing that was um, shown that was different in terms of the gameplay that we didn't already know. But it was cool to see the actors, because it's the two different Spider-Men, talking about their roles and, and then seeing them working together. And it was the same kind of thing where so much of that game is going to be the relationship between the two Spider-Man. And so here you're seeing that a lot of that is based on how these two actors worked so well together. Yeah, like we used to talked
1: about with Bioshock, how it was the emotional attachment between the two characters and how the actors really portrayed that. Well, with Spider-Man, there's not so much of an emotional attachment there. But one thing that's very important to Spider-Man is just his attitude, you know, his his little Comedic gestures, and seventy-five percent of comedy is all in timing. So, having the two actors there together recording simultaneously, I think it's really going to make that sharp Spider-Man wit come across a lot better than you know using the traditional voice recordings uh, setup.
0: Yeah, see, this is something that really gave me a lot of confidence in how immersive the game would be in terms of the voice acting, watching this. Because when you're listening to both of them, they both pull off that traditional, like you said, Spider-Man sarcasm and wit and, and just the tone of his voice. They both do that very well. And what was fun was seeing them those two types of characters bouncing off of each other because typically those two types of characters don't bounce off of each other very well. And so it was kind of cool seeing that. And now it does actually have me a lot more interested for the game based on that to see, you know, how much of the game is going to be that, that battle of wits that the two characters and how they're going to work together and how they're going to, to speak to each other. Yeah, imagine them doing a Wolverine and Spider-Man game like this. It'd be awesome. Although Wolverine doesn't talk very much. So talks enough. I got an awesome Wolverine Spider-Man picture. <laughs> Don't think I didn't pick up on the metaphor behind yeah, that. That's gonna be awesome. That's gonna be on the podcast tomorrow for the comics podcast. <laughs> okay, moving away from there now. There's only a couple other things that we were gonna talk about. The there was a presence from Bethesda for Skyrim. And when I say presence, I mean big freaking dragon is what it was. <laughs> In terms of actual booth presence um i mean bioshock had the songbird great big one but i don't think anything can compare to this freaking dragon that they had
1: that's a dragon all right
0: yeah and then we found out about the first couple of dlcs that are going to be coming out for skyrim as well
1: Yeah, uh, Bethesda announced that at least the first two downloadable contents for Skyrim, and this is actual downloadable content, not horse armor, like uh, Oblivion was, will be exclusive to the Xbox 360 for the first 30 days on market, which to me makes no difference because I'm buying Skyrim for the 360, but I'm sure this is pissing off a lot of other people.
0: Well, I picked up Skyrim on PC, actually. I pre-ordered it on Steam, and... I'm not pissed off, but, I mean, I've come to expect it now. There's different Mm -hmm. things that they they have, different exclusivity contracts with Microsoft or Sony or however they're doing things. So, all right, sometimes that's going to benefit me and sometimes it won't. This is one of those where it won't.
1: All right, well, it's it's at least something to uh, consider.
0: Yeah, we did see some more screenshots again of what's going on. Some more walkthroughs that people were talking about. They got some uh, some time to actually play the game, and from what I've read so far, pretty much everyone is in agreement as to just how unbearably cool this is. Can't wait. Uh, oh, dude, <laughs> it's already pre-ordered. I, I'm I'm like, I was making fun of my daughter yesterday because she's playing Morrowind. And I'm saying like, I, I found the picture that showed the, the progression of the graphics <laughs> for the faces from Morrowind to Skyrim right now. Have you seen that yet? No. Okay, I'll find it. I I'll, can imagine, though. I'll put it up in the show notes under Skyrim so you'll be able to see. But yeah, it shows each of the character races that you can play from Morrowind, then Oblivion, and now with, uh, with Skyrim, and dude, it's insane. It's absolutely insane how much better it looks. And uh, and what it did is it makes me want to play a freaking KG cat because they're freaking awesome now. They look incredible <laughs> in Skyrim. They always look goofy in the other ones. Now it's just incredible. But yeah, I was mocking my daughter because she's playing Morrowind. I'm saying freaking day one, November 11th, dude, I'm playing Skyrim. I'll send you texts telling you what level I'm at. (laughs) Take pictures on your phone. (laughs) Okay. uh, Another game that we found out about recently that actually looked very interesting is a little indie game by the name of Warp. Now, what did you think of this? I think it's going to be very
1: cool. Uh, you know, it's going to be a fun little, you know, small downloadable game. Yeah, it's kind of like the um, like the Explosion Man type game. It's just quirky and just works.
0: Well, what I like is how they're doing things a little bit differently in terms of, like, this, this character's uh, abilities that they have in terms of the teleportation and different things like that. And it's when they do different things like that that it actually... It's 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 gonna make the gameplay that much funner. When you're looking at a little indie game, that's important because you can't have the grand scheme, big different things like you're seeing in like you know huge MMOs and things like that. So keep it simple, but make it different. And we saw that with Bastion, and I mean we've seen that with other games as well, small indie games. So that's what it looks like we're going to be having with this, hopefully.
1: Yeah. We still don't know where it's coming to, you know, how it's coming out. But I mean, I'm assuming, you know, Xbox Live, Steam, etc. And like I said, it just fits into that mold so perfectly. How we've seen so many of these downloadable games come out, and each and every one being completely unique. Not, you know, twisting, you know, a formula like we were talking about earlier with the MMOs. Each one is just completely different and pretty much amazing. All of them. So it's great to see. Yeah, this this new avenue that's opened up for these smaller designers just to express their creativity because before it was freaking flash flash games on new grounds. So at least now they can, you know, reach an audience and have a budget and, and really succeed.
0: Yeah. The the game for anybody who's interested is basically you're you're a little alien and you've been captured and you're about to be essentially tested and dissected and then you are escaping and then the the ability is this teleportation and you can actually teleport into items as well not just around them and things like that you can teleport into items and then if you stay in the item long enough it'll actually explode from the energy or if you stay in them just a little while in the case as in the case with with you can actually teleport into humans as well and you can cause them to explode in a bloody mess which when i read that i thought oh dude how many people are going to try that immediately but it's going to be an achievement for yeah, that no kidding <laughs> you have achieved jeffrey dahmer um so there's there's that but if you stay in the human only long enough that they you well if, for a little while and then bounce out before they would explode they then get Disoriented or knocked out or something like that, but they don't explode. So there's a whole bunch of different little things like that that are. I think it's gonna make this a fun little game to play. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's on the radar. Yeah, definitely. Especially again, if we're looking at a little indie game, keep the price down, but make it, you know, good. It doesn't have to be long, but put put the quality in the writing and in and the gameplay. And yeah, I'll definitely pick it up. Now you actually found something out during break, that you're very excited to talk about, and now I'm dying to know. What, what okay. is
1: this? So, uh, last week, Atlas put up, put up a little teaser site. All it was was a yellow background with the actual URL for the site, but in a font very familiar to a- Atlas fans. And if you listen to uh, the last, uh, my stuff about Catherine, and then I even have uh, another Atlas feature this week, I am an Atlas fan. They have announced that Persona 4 is getting a remake for the Vita Which is huge. Oh, Uh, yes. Okay. Persona 1 through 3 all got remakes for the PSP. And it wasn't just, you know, updating the graphics. They added a lot of content to the game. Uh, For Persona 4, they're doing the same thing they did with Persona 3, giving you a second playable character of the opposite gender, which for a game like Persona, which is so much about your out of combat interactions with the other characters, being a different gender is a huge change. They said there is one and a half times the voice acting as there was in the PS2 version. Um, Lots of other little stuff in there, new animation movies, and they're adding in Wi-Fi support for calling on your friends to help you when you're about to die in a dungeon. Because Persona 4 was unforgiving. If you died, you started the fuck over. So any ability to get help if you're in, in trouble is very appreciated for Persona 4. They're saying it's coming out in spring 2012. I'm assuming that's Japan, but still we'll probably see it stateside sometime next year. This is, for me and for a lot of people, a system seller.
0: Well. I, I already knew I was picking one up. And the more I'm hearing about different games that are going to be coming out that are going to be doing stuff like this, like allowing me to call somebody to help. Dude, oh my God. But wait,
1: there's more. There are also... Announced a game called Persona 4 The Ultimate in Mayanaka Arena, which is a Persona fighting game using characters from both Persona 4 and 3, uh, coming to arcades as well as PS3 and 360, developed by the same team that made the Blaze Blue fighting games. Awesome. And they have confirmed that Persona 5 is in development, presumably for next, you know, well, current gen consoles, because that's what Catherine was. Catherine was Atlas's test to see how they could make a game on the newer consoles. So Persona 5 will be following very soon.
0: Newer consoles? Came out on the freaking Xbox.
1: Well, keep in mind Persona 4 (laughs) when it came out. Persona 4 came out on the PS2 at the end of 2009. (laughs) So Atlus has always supported the consoles very late into their lifespans. Catherine was their first game for the current generation. So that's just their their method of going about things. So slow ass is what you're saying. Some would see it that way. Other would see <laughs> others would see it as extending the lifetime of of, no. of, of no. and re- reaching a larger audience because in the winter of 2009 there were more people playing their PS2s than their PS3s.
0: Yeah, well there is
1: that. Well, part of that though, let's be Even honest. Even though is... that
0: was like 2 years into the PS3's lifespan. Yeah, but there still weren't a lot that many games exactly. for the PS3, so that's why as well. All right, no, that's definitely going to be something that I'll keep my my eye on. I it was funny because initially when they'd said that we would not be getting the Vita here until quite later that it was going to be released in Japan for quite a while before here. I was like, okay, well, that's fine. I I can wait. But, dude, the more I'm hearing about it, I'm freaking disappointed. I, I want it now. As it would happen, I have a contact in Japan. I could maybe get one sent over. Get a freaking adapter so I could plug it in the wall. I don't care
1: as long as I can play it. You can have your translation guide to read the frickin' menus.
0: There has to be an English option. There's English people in Japan, they'd have to have an English option. I'm You'd gonna, think. I'm gonna find out. <laughs> that might be important information to know before you buy it. Well, I got Pokemon cards. If I can get Pokemon cards, maybe I can get a Vita too. <laughs> 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 All right, with that, we're going to call it a wrap for tonight. Make sure to download the episode when it comes out on Friday because there's going to be a feature from Vince on Radiant Historium. So that's going to be very interesting. You'll definitely want to listen. And, of course, if you are a comic book fan, tune in tomorrow for the Comic Book Inform podcast with myself and Vince. It's going to be a fantastic episode covering Planet Hulk. Very, very freaking exciting stuff. And with that, we're going to let you go. You can find me on Twitter at for the lore. You can find me on G+, as well as Vince. And the absent Joe, he's on G+, as well. And, of course, you can find the show notes at ForTheLore.com. We'll see you guys next week. I just want to see the squiggly line moving. That's all I care about. Okay, they're moving. Good enough. (laughs) (laughs) Son of a... Too many mice. I've got two mice here. I'm easily confused. (laughs) Jesus, two mice is enough to do it. What's this? Whoa, Uh, whoa, whoa. It's all right. It's just an ad. Don't wig out on me. See, that's the... (sighs) Yes, I'm very glad that Lysol believes in the importance of clean schools. (laughs)
1: I was laughing so hard I don't know
0: how you made it through that without losing it that was one take I should have practiced more it would have sounded better but but yeah that was hilarious
1: (laughs) don't tell him I said that edit that out
0: are you ready, Malagash? It's all on you. You're the boss tonight. Who the boss? You the boss. Go, go ahead. Pick pick a topic. It's not Tony. <laughs> not Angela. It's you. Just because we made so much fun of you last week. But you were a good sport. <laughs> it's always nice when our listeners are good at sports when we make fun of them. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> there was no dig there. None at all. No reference. Nobody knows what I'm talking about anyways. I screw up less when there's more people in the audience, apparently. <laughs> if we were alone, we'd never get through this. It's it's all the pressure of having to please Malagash. <laughs> it is. It's a tough audience. How important is this? For me, very
1: important. For everybody else, probably not much. <laughs> it's all about me. <laughs> Let's just say it'll, it'll appeal to the same fans that all my Catherine talk did.
0: Ah, okay. I got to I got to make a little button thing for that for my little soundboard. All about me.
1: you <laughs> have to press You're the gonna M button. You're going to be held hell to deal with aren't you it's gonna be like the oh, freaking yeah. morning morning commute show on the radio and yeah. after a while
0: <laughs> i'm gonna have so many freaking things in there <laughs> including i gotta put the jeopardy music <laughs> so whenever things <laughs> go wrong trash. i just have to press a free i've, I've already got the <laughs> dude <laughs> i've already got that in there <laughs> <I> <laughs> All right, you you get to go back. start. I back? am ready. You are ready now. Your voice broke like a teenage boy. Sorry. You I'm actually, ready. you did that. When was that? Last week. And I and I came very close to doing a record scratch and doing it over a couple of times because <laughs> it was such a thirteen-year-old boy moment, and I was just so proud of you. It's like, oh, his voice is changing. Yep. Pretty soon his balls will drop too. Bastard.
1: All right, <laughs> but there's no defense for that. I just have to kind of take it. All right, it happens. <laughs> uh,
0: see, this is this is what I knew would happen tonight. This is the trial by fire. This is the first night. This is why. Yeah. So I'm gonna do something different here.
1: This is all gonna get cut out. Just let me know when I can start talking again.
0: (laughs) Hold on a second. Hold on, hold on. (laughs) I can... Okay, hold on. (laughs) Test. See. (laughs) See, this is where the Jeopardy! music would come in if I had it handy. (laughs) I would just be pressing the crap out of that thing right now. Have it on loop. (laughs) Okay. I know Planet Hulk. All right. I smash Planet. All (laughs) right. (laughs) <laughs> okay.
1: Hulk smash let me, books. Let me double up on my notes. <laughs> you commissioned a freaking picture of you giving me a note. <laughs>
0: Isn't that awesome though? <laughs> I didn't commission. I didn't even have I to know. pay. That was a freebie. She she just wanted to make fun of you as well. <laughs> she didn't even oh, everybody knows. <laughs> if I'm commissioning artists to make fun of you. <laughs>